Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. And you are not a trout bum. Why? Because you're listening to this, for starters. A real trout bum isn't going to be online on their phone listening to podcasts about fly fishing and fly fishing miscellany. A real trout bum would be fishing. If not fishing, he or she would be doing what needed to be done to make fishing in the immediate future possible. I think that my podcast and my writing isn't half bad, but I can't imagine it's a must-listen stuff for the person who would appropriately bear the title. Like Eagle Claw Rods and PBR, the term trout bum has been liberally appropriated by all manner of fly fishers. Ever since 1986, when John Gerrock's book titled with the same phrase was published, the words have become a self-bestowed badge of honor. People from across every social stratum consider themselves trout bums. But that just isn't realistic. If everyone is a trout bum, then no one is, or something like that. Or, how about this? If it bothers you that I'm accusing you of not being a trout bum, then you probably aren't one. I don't want you to feel like you're being attacked. I'm sure that you're really, really into fly fishing. If you were to tell me everything you know, share your angling expense report, and rattle off where you've been, I'd bet I'd be pretty impressed. Seriously, no sarcasm. There's a very good chance that you're an angling enthusiast, or a fly fishing aficionado, or a hardcore fisher person. You're just not a trout bum. And that's okay. That means that you probably know where your next paycheck is coming from. Tonight, you're going to sleep in a real bed rather than the bed of a pickup. You might have a family. Hopefully, they see you pretty frequently. The real deal, authentic, 24-7, dirt and floating under the fingernails trout bums are out there. They're just few and far between. It isn't that easy of a lifestyle to maintain in the 21st century. The street cred that they have earned among their fly fishing peers has taken devotion, sacrifice, and, don't take this the wrong way, some questionable life choices. If it works out, great. More power to you. In my experience, it looks an awful lot like a pacivorous version of Russian roulette. Legitimate trout bums are the less than one percenters. 
Not the one percenters with affluence and corresponding time to fish. Not the one percenters that guide, own a fly shop, or have otherwise made a living off their love of fly fishing. Not even the one percenters that simply have a sweet deal going where they get to fish all the time. The trout bum is like a cowboy with a sling pack, a drifter in waders, a fly rod wielding ronin. So, you're not a trout bum. But there's nothing barring you from the occasional fantasy or vicarious living. There's no arguing that what you get from second-hand accounts, because do real trout bums have social media? And potential encounters, if you happen to be in the right bar at the right time, is captivating. Their stories are spectacular. Their lives are fascinating. And for one reason or another, their trout bum journey is what it is. Your journey doesn't check all the trout bum boxes, which again is okay. Even if there's a catchy and desirable moniker for whatever you have going on, enjoy it and the fish that it brings for all it's worth. That is from a post entitled, You Are Not a Trout Bum, from August of last year. And again, I don't intend to poke fun at anybody, but it's one of those phrases that gets used an awful lot and almost to the point where it's lost some of its meaning. Not that really the phrase trout bum has any significant meaning to begin with, but those people that actually live that lifestyle are, as I mentioned, few and far between. It's not necessarily glamorous. Just like anything else, there's its pros and its cons. But something that I've perceived from those lives who could reasonably fall into the trout bum category, if not that, then close to it, is intensity. That is to say, what they are intense about and what they are not intense about. And it's just like anything else. Like, you think about an NFL player. Are they super focused on how their uniform looks? Or are they really trying to focus on getting the plays down and performing well? Do they care about the social life of the owner or their teammates or any sort of stadium improvement projects? There's so much stuff, especially this time of year as football season is starting, things like uniforms and stadiums and social circumstances. But those players that really excel at their craft are taking the intensity and channeling it into the right areas. The same is true in fly fishing. Maybe this is a little bit of a mental readjustment, only a few things to think about. But the first thing is that people who are trout bums or quasi-trout bums, I feel like they have an intensity for the experience. You know, it's not just the, the, the catching of the fish. It's not just the being on the water. It's everything that goes into it. It's their breakfast routine. It's being on the water at a certain time. It's even the uh, ritual of putting their boots and their waders and everything on in a certain way. It's that snack or that drink on the water, and then it's dinner afterwards. Now, those margins might be really early in the morning and really late at night, and there'd be a lot of time on the water actually fishing, but those other things matter. It's not so singular focused. Sometimes we make that mistake. Like the people who really, really, really are good at fishing, they're really people who really have have taken a lot of time and energy and effort and poured it into becoming a better fisher. They just fish all the time. Well, they do fish all the time, but it's not to say that they don't do other things, other things that they see as integral of enjoying the experience. They are intense about the experience, but they're not dogmatically intense. That is to say, They're not the ones that are going to be hopping on social media and tearing people apart for using a certain brand of rod or a certain style of wading boots or wearing a certain company or doing this, that, and the other. Certainly people have their preferences, but I find, almost like that NFL analogy, the people who really care 
about what they do and see themselves as the most responsible and the most important part of the process. So it's the angler, not the fly rod. It's the angler, not the flies. It's the angler, not the trucker cap or um, the fancy trout print belt or whatever it is. They see those things as secondary. So certainly people who are incredibly invested beyond, again, 99% of anglers in fly fishing, they have preferences. They have the brands they like, they have the equipment that they enjoy, but they're not as dogmatic as a lot of the people that you see online, partially because it takes energy. It takes thought. It takes that extra step to get online and complain about a brand or call someone out because they're using a piece of equipment or they're fishing in a certain way. People who are fishing don't care about how you're fishing as long as you're doing it legally. They don't care if you're using tenkara or two-handed rods or if you're fishing dry flies or you're fishing streamers. As long as you're doing it ethically and legally, that's really what matters the most. So there's not this intensity about the dogmatic side that we sometimes see in fly fishing. So then there's the intensity for fishing, not necessarily the intensity for fish. We've all heard that little story where you start fishing by just trying to catch fish then you want to catch a lot of fish, then you want to catch a big fish, then you want to catch a fish. And I think that holds true. I think that's a pretty good rubric to put people in where you just want to get into fish somehow, then you want to get into more fish, then you want to catch the fish that are special, and then you have even a more special fish that has some subjective quality in your mind, whether it be using a certain fly or in a certain place or something like that. I think that's true, but it's some sort of standard that they've created unto themselves. So it is a number, but it's because they caught X last time. They want to catch X plus two this time. They caught them on this pattern. They caught them below. Now they want to catch them below, but not with a strike indicator. Or they want to do so from a different casting position. That might sound silly, but again, you have to think. These are people who are spending a lot of their time most of their time fishing. Who are we to judge the legitimacy of their standards or not? But that really speaks to the subjective nature of fly fishing. Not being totally tied up with how many fish you've caught or how many big fish you've caught or how you've caught fish compared to other people or simply for the sake of telling someone. But what do you want? What do you want to get out of the experience? And and the intensity about that, meeting your own expectations, and establishing expectations that fall outside of the I caught fish category, or I caught fish in a certain way category. I did this thing, I gave it my best shot, I'm glad that I tried that, I know where I need to improve, or I know that I don't like that technique. Something like that is a totally admirable and uh, attainable kind of goal to set. Again, take what you want from those people who have that real high level intensity about fly fishing that are either in that trout bum upper echelon or getting close to it and realize that no matter how you fish that you can kind of employ some of that mindset at least what I perceive to be that mindset an intensity for the holistic experience of fly fishing into however much fishing you do however much of that pie chart that is your life fishing takes up there's something that we can learn from the quote-unquote pros this week on casting across two articles the first one is called 11 reasons why you need a new fly rod now that is what we call clickbait and actually 
I mean, it was a good article. It got a lot of uh, uh, folks reading it. But it's the point of it is that you don't need a new fly rod unless there's some pretty extreme examples. A few of them are like this. Your four-piece fly rod is in five pieces. Well, obviously, if your fly rod is broken, you should get a new fly rod. Or the reverberating wobbles of your whip-like fly rod do your mending for you whether you want it or not. Grandpa's five-and-dime fly rod might perform great for you. But if you struggle with line control, either on the cast or while you're trying to mend your presentation, that is a good reason to go out and spend a few bucks. You're not super virtuous or you're not gaining street cred because you're using a cruddy fly rod. And there are cruddy fly rods out there. Just because it's old, just because it's free, just because it's cheap, just because it's an heirloom, just because it's whatever, doesn't mean that you need to use it. If it is inhibiting your ability to do the simplest things, cast with hula hoop precision at 20 feet, make mends that go beyond just the tip of your fly rod, that is a good reason to invest in a new fly rod. But there are some things that aren't worth investing in a new fly rod. For example, if your rod is just old, there's nothing wrong with a rod that's 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 45 years old. I have some rods that I'm looking at right now that are almost 60 years old and that are great. They're fiberglass, and although they're a little bit heavier than contemporary fiberglass rods, they have a lot of the feel. Actually, they're not as slow as a lot of old fiberglass rods uh, have the stereotype of possessing. In fact, for kind of four-weight, five-weight, normal trout fishing conditions, they would perform great at those medium to short range casts. So there's nothing wrong with an old fly rod or an ugly fly rod. There are some ugly fly rods out there, but why would that justify a $600 purchase? Now, if you have $600 and you want a new fly rod, then that's your prerogative. But just because your fly rod's ugly doesn't mean you have to get a new one. Or your fly rod is cheap. Again, I have... Fly rods, they're so expensive, and some of them are certainly worth it, and I love them, but one of the rods that I used the most was $160, and I bought it over 20 years ago, and I love it, and it works great. It was cheap, and it's old, but I still use it, and I take care of it. There's a couple other reasons why I say you don't need to get a new fly rod, but this is one of those things where I think people either get hung up on, again, that dogmatic side of it, people who want new fly rods and people who never want a fly rod until they need a fly rod. It's so silly. When I even say it out loud, it's like, why is this an argument? Why do people care what people do? You have your own preferences for yourself. You have your own paradigm for fishing and uh, being a consumer and thinking about material things, and that's great. And you might even think that your perspective could be valuable to somebody else, and that is worth having a conversation about. But it really irks me, and I guess maybe this is a double standard if I get irked by what irks somebody else, but hear me out. It irks me when people get really bent out of shape, needlessly bent out of shape, about how someone else thinks about fly fishing. So here's an example. I like steak. Who doesn't like steak? Some people like paying a lot of money to go to a steakhouse and having someone make them a steak. Other people like buying steaks at the butcher and cooking them themselves. Is one wrong? Is one right? No, they are preferences. Some One person is probably saving some money but expending more effort. The other person is spending more money, but is able to relax. There's no right, there's no wrong. 
Obviously, there's plenty of caveats. If you don't have the money to go to a steakhouse, then it probably is wrong to spend that extra money. You know, if you don't know how to cook a steak, it probably isn't right to put yourself and your loved ones in jeopardy by saving some money by cooking a steak on your own. But it's the same sort of idea when it comes to, in this particular circumstance, talking about fly rods, somebody who thinks that a fly rod is an inconsequential part of the experience, that's one side of the spectrum. The other person who loves getting fly rods and loves the, the differences within them, their aesthetics and all those sorts of things, neither one is wrong unless they're taken to the further extreme where it becomes obsessive, where you think that you only need one or you think that you need all of them, or you start to criticize the other person. I know it's a rabbit trail. It's a very not trout bummy thing to think about. Maybe I'm just trying to be a peacemaker. So you don't need a new fly rod, but if you want one, go for it. All right, the other article, that was a, a long diatribe on that one. The other article was called In Search of Big Small Trout. In Search of Big Small Trout. And this kind of goes back to that idea of the, uh, the the trout bum thing. It's very trout bummy, again, to say, you know what? I catch a lot of five-inch fish in this little tributary. I'm going to get pumped when I catch a seven-inch fish. That's just a way to think about approaching fishing and how there is a lot more nuance and a lot more subtlety than just going out and trying to catch a lot of fish or catching the biggest fish. Certainly, if you fish tributaries, small mountain streams, you're not going to be catching enormous fish. So where do you find uh, the particular type of satisfaction that you would otherwise get by catching an exceptionally large fish on a big river or a lake or in the ocean? When you're in a small stream, it's by that fish that is a little bit on the one side of the bell curve that's a little bit larger. Or there's a couple other criteria that I talk about there also. Read those Casting Across. I don't mention this often, but subscribe to castingacross.com. There's a subscribe page. Only receive the posts Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Nothing else, no spam, no other emails soliciting anything of mine or folks I know in the fly fishing world. So do that. And then if you're into social media, I am on Facebook, I am on Twitter, I am on Instagram. Everything is casting across. You put that in, I am large enough in a small pond that I will pop up. This week's recommendation on casting across is going to alienate a number of individuals. Anybody who doesn't have a beard. So I have a beard and I take care of it just like I take care of everything else from a hygiene perspective. And I love Yukon's Beard Beard Oil. It is a great product. Um, I've talked to the owner, Tony, of Yukon's Beard a few times. Uh, great guy. Makes awesome stuff. It is all natural. It makes my beard smell good. It makes my beard feel good. I have a few favorite scents. One of them is peppermint, which is just fresh and bright. The other one is called Well-Traveled Beard Oil. Um, B-E-E-R apostrophe D oil and it has hops in it and so it has this lemony uh, slightly hoppy scent great stuff not expensive at all you get tons of applications in every bottle and it will make your beard happy and anyone who gets close to your beard happy so Yukon's Beard I will put a link in the show notes for this podcast page on castingacross.com Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.